All right, so last time we were together, we finished up our discussion on the bold judgments, which uh, the, the book of Revelation says is the final or the consummation of God's wrath. And I think the reason why that's so important is because it gives us the last of those recapitulating cycles that take us throughout the entirety of the interadmental age between Christ's first coming and second coming. Now, right, in, verse, in Revelation 17 through 19 and then Revelation 20, the Lord does something very interesting in that he pinpoints a very specific concept of judgment. This is the fifth cycle that we begin tonight in Revelation 17 through 19, which takes those last two bowl judgments, the sixth bowl and the seventh bowl, and really telescopes us in, zooms in on the nature of what will the fall of Babylon look like. So this fifth section gives us a picture of the fall of Babylon and the devil's helpers who sought to prop up this evil worldly system, the, the beast and the false prophet. And so Revelation 17 through 19, you see the fall of Babylon and the fall of the beast and the false prophet. And so it's giving us a, a very intimately detailed picture of this judgment against the world and against the two, the two of the Satan's minions to prop it up. The sixth cycle will give us the fall and judgment of Satan, the dragon himself. So now the Lord will focus specifically on the dragon and the final enemy of all to be defeated, death itself. And with the six cycles being completed, we will get the seventh cycle, which will be the new heavens and new earth, the, the, the ultimate picture of consummation. So that's where we're going. Uh, so tonight, we're going to be looking at Babylon the great prostitute. This, this picture of the worldly system that seeks to allure those away from God. A system that is propped up by Satan and by his minions to lure others away to destruction. So we'll be looking at Revelation 17 verses 1 and we'll, be, we'll end at verse 6 tonight. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of, on earth may or have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here we see really two things given to us in this kind of introductory portion of this fifth cycle, this fifth vision given to 
John. We see the introduction to the great prostitute, and then we get a description of the great prostitute. Now, why is this worldly system, Babylon, that we've talked about over and over again now, referred to as the great prostitute? Well, it kind of gives us a lot of descriptions as to why that is, but primarily, when we think of the prostitute, we think of one who seduces, who seeks to allure others away into immorality. And that's the picture of this worldly system. It's seductive. It's tempting. It seeks to lure you away into wickedness. Right? And that's why that language is so important that we understand it and that it's used. Is that when we go and look at the worldly system, it isn't just something that we're just kind of like, eh, you know, it's, there's no appeal there. No, in the flesh, it's very appealing. It is the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It looks good to the eyes. It is pleasing. Why? Because we are told that if we eat the fruit of this world, we'll be like God. That, that wasn't just for Adam and Eve. That, that has been the continual offer of the world ever since. The offer of Satan through the world ever since. If you eat this, you will be like God. You'll have and you'll know what others don't have. You just come and eat. It's a prostitute that seeks to lure us away. And it's why when you look at those opening Proverbs, and Proverbs is painted as the picture of a father giving wisdom to his son. And in those opening Proverbs, what do you see over and over again? Don't go after the the, the adulteress. Don't go after the prostitute. Don't let her lure you away. That isn't just some young man and some dad telling him, hey, stay away from the prostitutes. You know, stay away from the red light district. No, it's, it's saying don't go after the world. Don't go after that which is luring you away. And so literally the, enti- the entire book of Proverbs is, is, is built upon this, fact, this, this concept of go after the word, go after the Lord. Don't go after the world which seeks to seduce you away into wickedness. And we get this really interesting thing. It says that she is seated on many waters, right? She's seated on many waters with whom the earth kings have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of of whose sexual immorality the earth dwellers have become drunk. And so she is one who is first seen as seated on the waters. Now we've seen and talked about how the waters in Revelation are symbolic of the nations. And so... It's important to note here, uh, contrary to a lot of modern opinion, that this system of Babylon here is not one that is limited by geopolitical lines. This isn't just talking about America, North America. It's not just talking about NATO. This is a system that sits over all the nations, right? All the nations are given over to this kind of pollution, this kind of wickedness. So it's important that when we think about the way in which this system will seek to come against the church, especially at the end as it comes together, we shouldn't be looking just at like individual nations, oh, oh China, or oh, oh, Russia. No, no, it will all be unified in its efforts. You, you won't need to say, well, China's going to be doing it and America's going to be the last one standing. Probably not. This will be all nations gathering through the same lure tempta- luring temptation of this worldly system that is underneath 
the power and blinded by the God of this world, little g, the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself, the dragon. And this seeded from many waters actually comes from Jeremiah 51, which talks about the fall of Babylon itself. I'm going to turn over there and uh, read Jeremiah 51, verse 6 through 13, which talks about the fall of Babylon, prophesied of the literal Babylon during Jeremiah's time, but of the greater Babylon to come in the days ahead of us. Jeremiah 51, verse 6 through 13, we read, Flee from the midst of Babylon. Let everyone save his life. Be not cut off in her punishment, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance, the repayment he is rendering her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken, the nations drunk of her wine. Therefore the nations went mad. Suddenly Babylon has fallen and been broken. Well for her, take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she was not healed. Forsake her and let us go each to his own country, for her judgment has reached up to heaven and has been lifted up even to the skies. The Lord has brought about our vindication. Come, let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. Sharpen the arrows, take up the shields. The Lord has stirred up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, because his purpose concerning Babylon is to destroy it. For that is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. Stand up, set up a standard against the walls of Babylon. Make the watch strong. Set up watchmen, prepare the ambushes. For the Lord has both planned and done what he spoke concerning the inhabitants of Babylon. O you who dwell by many waters, rich in treasures, your end has come. The Lord, or the thread of your life is cut. The Lord of hosts has sworn by himself, surely I will fill you with men as many as locusts, and they shall raise the shout of victory over you. So this language, this her sitting on waters, her, her being a great prostitute, her having a cup by which the nations drink from. John is getting all of this. The revelation of all of this is coming from that prophecy against Babylon in Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51 is, is talking about the literal fall of the old Babylon. But that was a foreshadow of the greater fall of the worldly system to come. She will be cut off. She who is seated upon many waters. She who has led the earth's kings to commit sexual immorality and has given over her wine to cause others to drink after her immorality and her wickedness. Hosea chapter 4 verse 11 through 12 talks about this kind of whoredom here. It says, whoredom, wine, and new wine which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they left their God to play the whore. So, in the Bible, right, when we think of adultery, whoredom, sexual morality, it's not always in the context of just sexual perversion. Overwhelmingly in the Bible, when we think of that kind of adultery, it's in the terms of spiritual adultery. It's that you've gone after other gods. You've hoard yourself over to that which cannot please you, that which cannot offer you and give you anything. You have hoard yourself after a cheap substitute, God's saying. And when you 
go after the world and seek to find pleasure from it, you're telling God that what He gives you isn't enough. That this is why there's such danger when the Bible says, Thou shall not covet. What is coveting, right? We, we often think of jealousy, but it's deeper than that. When you covet, you want something that someone else has. And when you covet, what you're saying to God is, I'm not happy with what you've given me. I'm not happy with the providence you've allotted my life. I'm not happy with the wife of my youth. I'm not happy with the job that you've faithfully given me to meet the needs of my family. I'm not happy with being living a quiet and peaceful life. I need to be known. I need people to, to think me and, and, and to, to have fame and, and, and wealth and fortune. All of that is an allurement that causes so many to proverbially sell their souls to the devil. Life destroyed from drugs and alcohol and everything else. Ultimately brought to shame publicly. It's because they were lured away by this world. And I think especially with our social media age, how many of our young people are lured into the trap of I just need to be like them. I need to be a TikTok influencer, a social media influencer, a YouTube influencer, and everything else between. Did you know, I think it was last year they did a study among like 14 to 16 year olds and a YouTube influencer was like the number two desired job for teenagers. That's crazy to me. I mean, that's what they want to sit in front of a camera and make content. The lust of the world. That's why kids commit suicides for not getting enough likes on Facebook. It's why the transgender rate among young women in middle school and high school has, I mean, astronomically tripled and multiplied. Why? Because young women primarily are the most given to their peers at that age, right? Young men do stupid stuff, but young women's identity is often fashioned by their peers. Men just do stupid stuff when we're young. But women make full changes and transitions in their identity in order to feel wanted by their peers. So that's why you see all of these young women all of a sudden be like, oh, I'm a boy now. It's like, no, you're going through a phase. Right? You're going through something that, that needs to be counseled through and talked through and walked through. But we have a society now that says, no, how dare you say they, aren't, they don't feel the way they feel. We put them on hormone blockers and ruin their life just for them to become 19, 20 years old and to realize what a mistake I've made. And it happens all the time. We've put it before them, and this can be used for a great blessing. I get to put devotionals out daily. I get to fill up my Facebook with, with pictures of my children, with verses, with gospel messages, we get to put out the videos of our church services. There can be a lot of good, and that's where God is faithful and He uses even wicked things to bring about great good. But nevertheless, this has become another well by which the world comes to drink, to be lured away 
by Babylon the prostitute. Lured away and carried her away. And so, as we get this vision of her, this great prostitute sitting upon the waters, just as Jeremiah had described her, over the nations, with with kings and others coming to drink from her, we're immediately told that in that moment, John is carried away in the Spirit. Now that carried away in the Spirit comes out of Ezekiel chapter 2, which is oftentimes... What is happening when a, when a prophet is about to receive revelation? That's just a picture. You're about to receive new revelation. You're being carried away by the Spirit into a concept of revelation. And he says that he's carried away into the wilderness. Into the wilderness. Now, Isaiah chapter 21 is fascinating because Isaiah receives a judgment on Babylon while he's in the wilderness. Isaiah chapter 21, beginning verse 1 through 10. The oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea. That's fascinating. As whirlwinds in the Negev sweep on, it comes from the wilderness, from a terrible land. A stern vision is told to me. The traitor betrays and the destroyer destroys. Go up, O Elam. Lay siege, O Media. All the sighing she has caused, I bring to an end. Therefore my lions are filled with anguish. Pangs have seized me like the pangs of a woman in labor. I am bowed down so that I cannot hear. I am dismayed so that I cannot see. My heart staggers. Horror has appalled me. The twilight I longed for has been turned for me into trembling. They prepare the table. They spread the rugs. They eat and drink. Arise, O princes, oil the shield. For thus the Lord said to me, Go set a watchman. Let him announce what he sees. When he sees riders, horsemen and pairs, riders on donkeys, riders on camels, let him listen diligently, very diligently. Then he who saw cried out, Upon a watchtower I stand, O Lord, continually by day. And at my post I am stationed whole nights. And behold, there comes riders, horsemen and pairs. And he answered, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. And all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. O oh, my threshed and winnowed one, what I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I announce to you. So here we see Babylon referred to as the wilderness of the sea. All of this language that once again we're getting used, brought back up in the revelation of Christ. And we see here this picture of the war coming up and how Babylon is in many ways kind of partying herself. She is... She's not prepared. She thinks everything's good. The spices are good. Everything about her is good. The market's good. The trade is good. Everything about her seems to be good. She thinks that she can make enough preparations to prepare herself from the judgment to come. This is exactly the way in which Babylon actually failed, the real Babylon. Remember the whole writing on the wall scene? They're in there. The Babylonians are partying it up. And little do they know that the Persians are literally right outside the wall. You have been weighed and judged. The writing was on the wall. But they didn't know it. They were partying. Little did they know that very night they would be destroyed. And that picture is how the Babylon picture of the world will be. Everyone will think, It's good. Everyone will be saying, it's really good. Things are great. It's the best it's ever been. We're eliminating this this body 
which seeks to bring shame to us, which seeks to limit us, these bigots, as we will be called. We're eradicating them, and now we can live freely and fully in an inclusive and tolerant utopia. Peace, peace, they will say. But there will be no peace. There will be destruction. And it's important that this judgment on Babylon is given in the wilderness. Why? Where are God's people? We're in the wilderness. Where are we persecuted by Babylon? In the wilderness. And there, where it has sought to pass its oppression upon us, God declares its judgment on Babylon. This is actually a picture of God answering the prayers of His saints. That's why He does it in the wilderness. It's to show that this system which sought to bring persecution to you in this world will itself be judged here and now. Your prayers have been answered, my people. Babylon will be judged. She will fall in the very wilderness where she sought to oppress you. And that's going to be important. Because we're going to get a little parenthesis here at the end, in the beginning of chapter 19, at the end of this visionary cycle, which will show as Babylon, the prostitute, is being destroyed, what will the bride of Christ be doing? She'll be enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bride of Christ will be receiving sweet communion with God while Babylon the prostitute will be facing his judgment. It's the story of two women, the faithful bride and the adulteress. The church, God's faithful, are a picture of that bride. The worldly system which seeks to go away from him and rebel against him and go after another lover is the adulteress. and She will be judged as such. We then get a description of the woman, though. He says of her that she was sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. So the woman is sitting on a scarlet beast. Now this beast, this scarlet beast, is a picture of the dragon. The beastly system and the beast that is kind of working for him. The woman is propped up by the scarlet beast. Why is it scarlet? Because it's stained by the blood of the saints. That's why the dragon is scarlet. The beast is scarlet. She is scarlet, dressed in scarlet. It reflects the blood that is on their hands. And her riding upon the beast is the reality that this world system is propped up by these wicked forces. There's a reason why Paul would say we don't war against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. Because underneath all of this worldly system, underneath all of the abortion, underneath all of the fraud and the scandals, and the, the conspiracies and everything else that are out there is a spiritual world at work. 
this isn't just people who are trying to use their intellect to outsmart and to create their own thing. No, that's, those are just fallen individuals who are subject to spiritual oppression, possession, and everything else in between. There's real darkness at work in the world. And if you don't think so, you're not opening your eyes. The only way that you can experience some of the things that you see in war, the way in which one of the states had to vote on allowing, basically, health care to be given to a child who was a failed abortion. Basically, if the child's born alive from a failed abortion, that they should receive health care. They should receive care that they need. And the state voted against it. That if the child was born alive from a botched abortion, um, that the parent has a decision that they can continue to go on with the murder even after birth. But how do you get to that point? Listen, it's evil from the get-go. But if someone wants to play the game, well, I can't see it, and so whatever, it's not real to me. That's one thing. But to say that a baby can lay on a cold steel table while its parents decide whether or not they want to execute it, it's just another level. But that's darkness. That's spiritual darkness. That comes from a hardened heart that is spiritually manipulated, that has fed into the cup of this worldly system that says the most important thing in life is what you want for yourself. And if anything keeps you from being the God you want to be, the only thing that should be rightfully allowed is that you get to kill it, whatever it is. If there's any consequence that keeps you from living the life you want, your best life now, you need to have the ability to eradicate it. That's the system. And the world's drank from that cup. And it's stained with scarlet. It's stained by the blood of millions of babies that it has killed on the altar of choice and convenience, which is that world's, it's, it's this world's sacrificial system. Baby sacrifices to Moloch didn't stop in the Old Testament. It's still happening today. As the nations would offer these babies in sacrifice to the false god Moloch and to Dagon and to Baal, that's still happening. We've just reshaped the altars to make them look like nice healthcare centers. And rather than calling them a sacrifice, we call it Planned Parenthood. And rather than saying we're offering pleasure so that we can get a good harvest, we offer the sacrifice so that we can go get that career we always wanted. So that nothing can stop us from getting that college degree. Because that baby will be a nuisance to your life. So in order to get the good harvest, just sacrifice the baby. This is a demonic system. The worldly system is propped up by a beast. 
It's why there's no transparency in where your tax dollars go. You don't have a clue what your tax dollars do. And if you think you do, you're fooling yourself. I don't know. I don't know. Trust me, I get paid, and it ain't a lot from the, the governmental system, so I don't, I don't know where it's all going. It's all a part of the same system. Propped up by a beast that it rides upon and seeks to devour any sort of righteousness that would get in its way. We know that this is a picture of the beast and the dragon that's propped it up because of the descriptions. It has blasphemous name and seven heads and ten horns. Back in Revelation 12 verse 3, we saw this of the dragon. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his head with seven diadems. And then when it came to the beast in Revelation 13, 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is those who dwell in heaven. So this beastly system, fueled by the influence of the dragon, is what props up this world. It's what holds it up as it seeks to move out, accomplishing its purposes, offering its sinful lust to the world to come and drink of. We see that description continued in verses 4-6. through six. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. We'll stop there for a second. Purple, right? A picture of what? Nobility. Royalty. This is not some picture of some common street prostitute or anything like this. This is a picture of a, almost a queen who is attractive. Who is seen as royal? I think it's so amazing. I saw a preview the other day for a movie that's coming out about the origins and the creation of Hollywood. You know what the title of that movie is? Babylon. Talk about screenwriters not even knowing what they're doing, right? The name of the creation. And it's a movie about how it was founded upon immorality and lust and the desire to be fame and famous and powerful. So the, they're calling a movie on the creation of Hollywood Babylon of all things. I thought, boy, sometimes the Lord just makes it obvious. Right? We allow people to come through our television and our computer screens that we did never allow to walk through that front door. We allow situations into our home through shows, through entertainment, that we would never let enter into our house and sit at the, the table. It's the easiest way to infiltrate it, to move through the airways, directly into the living rooms of people's homes. Now, it's not just Hollywood. Hollywood's just another <clears throat> extension of this entire system. It's a system that's all-encompassing. Politics, education, entertainment. It's got its hand in all of it. It's seen as royal. It draws attention. I think that's also a picture of its, the fact that it will infiltrate many of the leaders, not all the leaders of the world it's also dressed in scarlet. Once again, a picture of the bloodshed that she's caused. She's adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. 
Listen. This system, this woman that's pictured here, is attractive. She's... It's tempting. We're lured in by the things that she has. Because the promises that she lures with is, if you want these things, follow me. Listen to what I have to say, and you can have these things. You can have gold and diamonds and pearls. You can have a life of prosperity. Something, a lie that's even crept into the churches. You can have all of these things if you just follow me. You can have gold and jewels and pearls. You can be arrayed in nobility. You can have fame and fortune. If you just follow me. And this will be, remember, as opposed to the saints of Christ, the followers of Christ, who will be in poverty. Who are seen as less than, who are kept from receiving the things and going to the markets and and getting the things that they would like because of their commitment to Christ. They will be seen as outcasts, outsiders, impoverished. Why would you want to live that kind of life when you can have this? That will be the selling point. Jeremiah 2, verse 34, talking about Babylon again, it says, On your skirts is found the lifeblood of the guiltless poor. You did not find them breaking in, yet in spite of all these things, you crushed them. We see that she's holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations, impurity, immorality. Remember back in Jeremiah 51, verse 7, Babylon has a golden cup in the Lord. It was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, therefore the nations went mad. In other words, why has the Lord allowed for this system to develop? Well, he does so as a judgment. I, I, I tell you what, in God's creative power and his creational goodness as our creator and as our the things that he does blows my mind sometimes but one of the things that's always amazed me is that god will give you what you want and if you want the world he says here he gives you over to babylon and her cup and he says drink away that's what you want drink away Drink away. That's why he says in Isaiah chapter 1, right? Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they can be made white as wool. What do you want? Do you want to go drinking after the world? Do you want to go after this worldly system full of bloodshed, full of immorality, full of abomination? Or do you want to be cleansed and have life everlasting? What do you want? Once you've decided, well, I'll I'll drink from the cup of the Lord, rivers of living water, then yes, eternal life is yours. And He will give you more and more and more of it for all eternity. But if you want the cup of the prostitute, He says, drink away. And I'll ensure that you drink 
till you don't even remember that there was an opportunity to reason together anymore. Because there will be no reason left in you. And that's what Romans 1 is all about. You see in Romans 1 this continual elevation of the Lord giving them over to a depraved heart. And it, gets, it just continues to get worse and worse and worse to the point that it says, now not only are they doing these things, but they're giving hearty approval to them. Why? Because they've gotten so drunken with the wine of the world that they have no reason left. And that's why I think sometimes you can be talking to someone, and it's been much more easy to do this nowadays, where you're talking to someone and you realize we're not even on the same plane of reality anymore. We are talking so far past each other now that we don't even exist on the same plane of reason. You're right about that. Because the more someone drinks the cup of the world and what it offers, the further they get away from truth and the, the more drunken they become in the, in the wrath of God and drunk in the way of the world that they can no longer see reason for what it is. And so when you're sitting there saying things like, that baby's a baby. It's a human life. And they get to a point where they will even say, I know it is. I'm going to kill it anyways. That shows you where we're getting. That, that shows you that reason's gone. My, my six-year-old couldn't tell you what he is. This is a boy. But one day he's a dentist. Next day he's a firefighter. Some days he's a monster. Other days he's a grizzly bear. You think I'm going to put in his hands a decision that radically alters his life forever by neutering him? We're not talking about adults making decisions for themselves. Listen, if you're an adult and you want to go do stupid things to yourself, go do stupid things to yourself. I'm going to tell you not to, but you're an adult. But don't you dare bring that upon children. You can't even spell their name. But the reason why we allow that and the reason why places like Boston Medical Center and these top medical schools around the world are allowing for these tr transgender uh, surgeries, these, these gender transitional surgeries, is because we don't reason anymore. Because they're drunk with the wine of the world. And their reason has left the building. We have left, we have given, we have given the car keys of governance to a, a world that's drunk with wine. And we're shocked when it crashes over and over again. They've drunken the wine in her hand. It says on her forehead was written a name of mystery. That, that's coming directly out of Daniel chapter 4. That picture of mystery in the Bible is not something that was never known about. Or no one ever saw this coming. When the Bible talks about mystery, what it means is it's something that was revealed in very veiled or kind of 
almost foggy terms, right? So in the Old Testament, right, a lot of times things were revealed in mystery. For example, the, the nature of the Messiah, the fact that he was going to be a reigning, ruling king, and also a suffering servant was for many a mystery. It was revealed, but there was just no way that they could fully square it until it actually came in Jesus. And that's the truth here with Babylon. That original vision that, that Nebuchadnezzar had and that Daniel gave to, um, that, that Daniel interpreted for, for Nebuchadnezzar regarding the fall and destruction of Babylon. It was framed as a mystery, meaning that this is what's going to happen, but there are aspects of it that are still waiting future fulfillment. That's what we're seeing here unfolded in Revelation. So mystery is often something that has a twofold fulfillment, something that's immediately fulfilled in the present, but has a greater fulfillment that is future that was often unseen by the original audience. This is another one of those examples. Because in Daniel chapter 4, that's actually the first time we actually get this statement, Babylon the Great. Which is what Nebuchadnezzar calls the city when he's looking over it and talking about, look at the city I've built. Look at what I've created. And then what happens to Nebuchadnezzar immediately after? He gets humiliated. He gets turned into a beast. Why? Because... The more you give yourself over to a worldly system, actually, the more you lose your humanity. And the more you become like a beast. The more you drink from the world, the more you lose your humanity. Because what makes us human that separates us from the beast? It's the image of God. So the more you walk away from God, the less human you actually are. So it's no wonder that the 20th century, marked by the loss and the abandonment of God, marked the deadliest century in world history. Because the more you walk away from God, the more beast you become. So all of these things that disgust you at times, that shock you, how could people possibly allow this to happen? How can they not see the truth of this? How could they allow this to happen with no, with no just piercing of their conscience. And the answer is clear. They've drunk from the wine of the world. They've walked away from God. And the more you walk away from them, the more beastly you become. That's why the truest expression of humanity is actually found in Christ. You can never be who God has called you to be as a human being divorced from Christ. Because He alone can restore you to a proper place of humanity which is meant to be in communion with God. That's why we were created. With His image, to be in communion with Him. Man was not made to be in the wilderness. Man was made to be in the garden. Notice, in Genesis 2, God creates Adam outside the garden and puts him in the garden. And then says... It's very good. In other words, man's life, man's relationship is not to be found in the wilderness. It's meant to be found in the garden. And the only way to get in the garden is through Christ. 
But apart from Christ, you're just going to be left wondering. And the further you wonder, the more beastly you become. And that is why she is referred to as the mother of prostitutes in earth's abominations, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. It's important that we understand what, it, what he means. She's the mother of, earth's prost- or mother of prostitutes and earth's abominations. What this is saying is, is that this system has no single identifier. In other words, Sodom and Gomorrah, Egypt, Tyre, Sidon, Rome, you name it, China, Soviet Russia, Hitler or Nazi Germany, Hitler's Germany. These are all daughters of Babylon the Great. She's been producing these all along. And just what we will see at the end is a culmination of her. A culmination as opposed to just one single nation leading the the cause and the detriment. It will be a unified set of nations underneath this, this allurement, this this temptation to want to crush out the saints. Why? Because it's a beastly system. It's a beastly system. And it will seek to crush out all of those who have a, a fragment of humanity left in them. Who are calling them to repentance. And it will seek to destroy them. Because the one thing about a beastly system like this The one thing about this kind of a system is it doesn't want to be exposed. And it seeks to kill anyone that will expose it. There's a reason why ultimately John the Baptist had to have his head cut off. Because he was exposing wickedness. He was exposing wickedness. And notice the way in which in the Bible... It's often women who lead leaders to do evil things. So for Ahab, it was Jezebel. For Herod, it was Salome. It was the influence of a seductress luring them to do evil things. That's the picture of Babylon. Luring men to do evil things, to kill the saints, in other words, to kill out the light so that it can remain in the darkness. John makes it clear. Why did they kill Jesus? Because they hated the light. It hates the light. Because as long as there's no light, you can do whatever you want in the dark. You can move, you can fester, you can do whatever you want in the dark. And what happens is, is when light's exposed on it, your your temple of seduction gets exposed for what it is. And now you can't lure people in as easy. But if it's happening in the dark, it's so much easier to lure others. And the church exists to spread light, to shed light on wickedness. So that we can show to the world, that's evil. Let me show you light. Let me show you life in Jesus Christ. And that's why the world, for so many years, flowing out of this this Babylonian system, 
has sought to crush the saints. I love this picture from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36 to 38. Others suffered mocking and flogging and, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens, in the caves of the earth. This is a picture of those faithful saints who have been martyred. And I love that description the writer of Hebrews gives. Of whom the world was not worthy. He's talking about this system. You will be outcast in this system. You will be pilgrims in this system. Aliens, strangers, sojourners, exiles. And you've got to get comfortable with that. You've got to get comfortable with not being comfortable. You've got to be comfortable with being in Christ. And let everything else be as it may. It says, I saw her, John, I saw her. And marveled greatly. Now, when we look at this again next week, John's going to get rebuked about this. Verse 7, the angel will say, why are you marveling at her? In other words, don't think the world's not tempting. Don't think she's not attractive. Don't think she hasn't gotten the best of men. Because you better believe she has. There's a reason why the Proverbs, the book of wisdom, begins with stay away from the seductress. Don't even look at her. Stay as far away as you can, the father says to the son. If she's on this street, you take the other one, right? You get as far away from her as possible so that she can't lure you in. This is the great prostitute, this worldly system that seeks to lure us in. But as we will see in the coming verses, her judgment is coming. She will be destroyed. She will not last. And unfortunately, those who are drunk in her and who are of her will go down with her. Here's some closing takeaways. First, Beware demonic mirages in the wilderness. Now, now, what's a mirage, right? Mirage, you go out into the desert, you're thirsty, you're hungry, and all of a sudden, man, that looks like water. It looks like it. And so you, you go and you spin and you exert effort to go over there to get some water, and guess what? There's nothing there. There's more sand. And you see it again. Oh, that looks like trees and some shade. And you go there. And it's your mind playing tricks on you in the wilderness. And brothers and sisters, there are a lot of demonic mirages in this world. Things that looking at it say, man, that's, that's going to be good. That'll give me pleasure. That'll give me satisfaction. That, that kind of looks like Christianity. And they're really nice people. And that looks good. Tons of cults have risen to lay people, lead people away and astray. For even Satan goes around appearing like an angel of light. 
It's not shocking to me that most of these cults began with having been appeared to by an angel. It shouldn't surprise us in the least when we know that's how Satan operates. These are demonic mirages, systems and, and things and substances which promise the world but can offer only emptiness. I call them broken cisterns. You, you pour into them. You pour into them, right? You pour all of your life and all of your water into them just to keep going back and finding it empty over and over again. Exerting all of your effort to have nothing to show for it, but constantly being fed empty promises that if you just do a little more, if you just give me a little more, if you just work a little harder, you'll have exactly what you're looking for. And they leave men in perpetual slavery. False religions, false systems, false philosophies. They are demonic mirages to try to think that we have found satisfaction when only we're drinking more and more sand than water. Secondly, the Babylonian system is currently at work and has been at work. This is not just something that we're waiting. Yes, there will be a culmination of this at the end of the age. But this system's already at work. It has been at work all the way from the beginning with Sodom and Gomorrah, with the sons of Cain under the power of Nimrod and Babel. This system's been continually happening. A system that opposes God, opposes righteousness, and seeks to lure others away. And so we need to be awake and understanding of what it is, and more importantly, as Christians, realizing the spiritual battle that's underneath it all. There's a reason why Paul says in 1 Timothy 2 that it is pleasing to God for you to make prayers and intercessions for all your leaders. Why? Because when you do that, you recognize the fight spiritual. And you recognize that there's only one who can overcome it. Christ. That's it. If you aren't praying for the salvation and conversion of your leaders, you're wrong. And you may think, that's hard. Yeah. I don't think know anything Christ commands us to do that's easy. It is hard. But if you don't want them saved then you didn't need to be either. You're no more deserving of salvation than they are. And the only hope that we have for peace in this world is that people would come to know Jesus. That's it. That's it. There's no economic policy that'll do it. There's no system of foreign policy that'll do it. There's no system of taxation that'll do it. No system of education that'll do it. The only hope is salvation. And that's found in Christ alone. So if you're angry or you're upset with your politicians, pray for them. Lord, change their heart. You alone can do it. Help me be a light and an influence to those I'm around. Thirdly, there is an anesthetizing effect to Babylon's influence. In other words, there's a numbing effect. It lures you to sleep almost. 
You just get so used to it. You don't even taste it anymore. There was a, a woman who killed her husband a few years back by adding a little bit of bleach to his drink every day. She just poured just a little bit of bleach. Just enough to where he really couldn't notice the taste, but enough enough where slowly over time it poisoned him to death and killed him. That's kind of what the worldly system does. It's like the old adage, how do you kill a frog in boiling water, right? You don't throw him in boiling water. You just slowly turn up the heat to the point where he's dead before he even knows it. And that's the way the world system works. It starts off with little things. Let's just put a little scene in a movie. Let's throw one commercial out there and see how that lands. Let's introduce a book into a school. Let's begin to elevate a, a movement about how so-and-so's daughter is a, a daughter of a pastor who adopted this lifestyle and this pastor has been accepting of it. Little by little. To just make you comfortable. To make you accustomed. Before you know it, it's the new worldview, And you're the odd man out. Slowly but surely, turning up the heat. There's an anesthetizing effect to the point where there's things that were once considered just crazy. We had never thought of that, that we do commonplace now, not even thinking about it. The way we speak, the things we put before our eyes, the things we argue and debate over. We always need to live in light of this question. Is what I'm doing, saying, or thinking giving glory to God. That's the only way to protect this from this. Is what I'm doing giving glory to God? Not, well, is it a sin? Because you can justify that. You can be like, well, it doesn't say verbatim in Scripture that, it, that this is bad. No, you need to ask, does this glorify God? Because if it doesn't, I don't need to be thinking it, I don't need to be saying it, I don't need to be doing it. That's the only way to keep yourself from falling into that slow, paralyzing sleep that the world has to offer. And so finally, we need to pray for discernment. We need to be like the sons of Issachar, it said, men who understood the times. We need to pray that the Lord would give us wisdom, that he would give us discernment and how to recognize this system, this prostituting system of the world at work, we need to be able to see the, the cup that she has to offer and be able to have the wisdom and the reason about ourselves in order to speak truth in all things, to speak truth with love in order that we might be a light to lead people away from the darkness. You, We need discernment. And the only way to grow our discernment is to be in the Word and to be in prayer. Those are the two key things that will grant you discernment in a dark world. The Word and prayer. And those two things are irreplaceable. If you're not in the Word, you won't have discernment. And if you're not in prayer, you'll be lacking. Period. Because I'm going to tell you right now, it's a dangerous thing to be in the Word without prayer. And it's a dangerous thing to be in prayer without the Word. 
because it's almost like you just you walk around one-legged. You don't have balance. And the word and prayer together give us balance in our life. That we can walk clearly. The light the word, a lamp and light unto our feet. And prayer fills us with the Spirit, leading us in and through the Word and out to others. So we need to pray for discernment. That we might all call to everyone. Jeremiah 51.6 Flee from the midst of Babylon. Let everyone save his life. Be not cut off in her punishment. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. The repayment he is rendering her. Flee from the midst of Babylon. That's our message to the world. So let us pray for discernment and wisdom. And how to navigate the world with the message of the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the truths in this text. I thank you for the reality of saving us in Christ, for giving us wisdom in the Spirit, for giving us wisdom in your word, for giving us power in prayer, that we might be faithful in our walk in the wilderness. God, I pray that what, whatever hooks, whatever allurement, that the world may have in us. God, I pray that you'll break it. Whatever there is right now that we find ourselves slowly sipping upon, that the world has to offer, God, I, I pray that you will break our, our, our desire for it. And that we will want nothing but you and you alone. I pray that you will give us wisdom and discernment and how to navigate this world through both your word and through prayer. And finally, Lord, I lift up the leaders of this nation. I lift up the leaders of this world. I do so because I know that you're sovereign. I do so because I know you're on the throne. I do so because I know apart from you, I am nothing. A sinner who is lost. So Lord, I pray if it's your will, God, that you would just transform the hearts of these leaders that you would draw them to yourself in salvation. God, you alone can do it. Lord, that you might bring righteousness to the nations that they lead, that you might use it as an opportunity to bring national revival across the world. Lord, we pray for this because you are sovereign. You alone can change hearts. But Lord, if you should see fit to keep those who have abandoned you in judgment, God, we say just give us strength. Give us strength. Give us wisdom to be able to navigate the world ahead faithfully for the glory of your name and for the accomplishment of your purposes, knowing that no matter what, you win. The Lamb will triumph. And the bride of Christ, we, us, will dwell with you in the house of the Lord forever. For that, we say, help us now as we leave this place to be your light to a broken world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.